Welcome to Access Utah. I'm Tom Williams. Today we feature another episode in our periodic series of programs about the internet and social media. Our guest today is Scott Cleland, an internet accountability advocate and executive director of the Restore Us Institute, a nonpartisan nonprofit research and education organization educating the public about internet accountability problems and solutions. Among uh, other items in his biography, Scott Cleland was Deputy U.S. Coordinator for International Communication and Information Policy in the George H.W. Bush administration. Scott Cleland, welcome to the program. Appreciate it. Thank you for having me, Tom. Uh, so before we jump into what the Restore Us Institute is and, and, and what it's doing, uh, tell me a little, little bit more about your background. You've, you've had pretty extensive background in government and private sector. Uh, yes, I've been doing Internet policy for 30 years. Um, I was the first to figure out that the Telecom Act would pass, and so I was working for investors at that time. And so I covered, you know, essentially the transition from monopoly to, uh, you know, competition, and that's what then was the advent of the Internet. And then I became an Internet you know, accountability person I was one of the first people to spot that the um, dot-com crash was going because everybody was saying it was growing 10 times faster than it was. And I I just said, look, these valuations are nuts because of it. And then when big tech came along uh, in 2007 and 2010, I testified before the House, Senate, and actually the, the Senate judiciary and house judiciary basically telling them that first that google would be a monopoly and that uh the other large big tech companies would be too and that was 15 years ago and it was very obvious back then and then you know i've been uh laying the groundwork for the for big tech tech lash and been involved in that and now um there's i think what we're going forward with is We've had a period of unaccountability, and the future is very much bringing accountability to the technology. So hopefully that tells you a little bit of the story of how I got here. So I want to go to, uh, I want to read from an op-ed piece uh, that you wrote. Sure. Um, so quoting Scott Cleland, It was a benign experiment in 1996 when the Internet and Electronic Bulletin Board was used by a small percent of Americans, an average of 30 minutes per month. Uh, (laughs) I had here to, that seems quaint, doesn't it? Um, A well-intentioned bipartisan consensus abdicated government authority over the nascent Internet to accelerate the Internet's build-out and adoption. It succeeded at that goal. There's a big but coming, right? Uh, So at the the time, sort of this Wild West, what became Wild West, uh, was felt necessary to help this nascent industry build out. Um, and then things went off uh, off course, uh, at least from your point of view, right? Yes, because, um, you know, once it achieved that goal, I mean, there should have been some sunset or some reauthorization or some review. 25 years, it's just been approved anarchy on autopilot online. It's, I mean, what we have right now where... It made sense to, because, look, both sides, everybody was intoxicated and just excited about the Internet, and there really was very little analysis and thinking ahead in it, and uh, that's why I realized that's what I would do. I became the researcher and uh, that would really track kind of what the adverse effects could be. So um, it, we, it's, it's, it's nuts out there now because it's run 
you know, way, way beyond what it ever was intended to. You've, um, I guess you've invented, you, you call uh, this field of study that you just made reference to macro-internetics. What, what is macro-internetics? Well, um, it's interesting. I um, invented something called change research when we made the transition from uh, monopoly to competition and when we moved to the Internet because no one was doing it that way. And uh, what I realized um, three, four years ago was there was a complete lack of any systematic analysis. You know, there was no discipline of looking at um, Internet design and policy and how that um, had, you know, kind of systemic uh, effects. And that's because, you know, big tech, of course, and social media and the Internet only wanted to talk about the positive. And there's just too much negative that, you know, that's happened. And so when I started pulling it together, it was just like um, I'm a researcher and a learner, and it's been amazing. And I'm just stunned no one else has really done it uh, because there are so many things. Uh, you know, everyone does everything everywhere for life, work, and play by the Internet, via the Internet. And so it has just huge implications for most everything. I mean, if you want to talk about any part of the society or security or safety, um, let me know when we can talk about it in that context, because mm-hmm. that's what I've done for the last three years, mm-hmm. figured it out. So you, you're talking about uh, how uh, this Wild West atmosphere, this unfettered uh, Internet, is is having a very corruptive, corrosive uh, effect on our, on values, right? Absolutely, and it, that's something that uh, if you look at this, there are two. What I learned in my research, macrointernetics, it's like the term macroeconomics. You know, it would be like if we had the economics and microeconomics without the macro, and that's what we had in the Internet. And so what I'm telling you is there's kind of two overriding dynamics. One is uh, when it's policy, it has created anarchy. And that is, you know, um, you know, has all sorts of negative implications uh, for all sorts of things. And it basically turns things upside down. And then the design, what people don't realize is that, you know, the Internet as a technology is P2P, peer-to-peer, and it is a host to a lot of peer-to-peer. But what they don't understand is it's inherently a non-reciprocal exchange or non-reciprocal technology. Why would we care? Well, reciprocity is the golden rule. It is also just the ethic of reciprocity. It's the fact that we want to treat each other the same way. And it is inherent in everything of government, of sovereignty, of authority, responsibility, respect, accountability, almost everything, a marketplace, commerce, everything we live with, a society, elections, everything is reciprocal. And so when you have a a technology that everybody's doing everything for life, work, and play on a technology that is doing the opposite of what everybody else is doing, it creates chaos. So it, and surprise, surprise, it's a lot like anarchy. And so um, that's where those two dynamics, and when I say non-reciprocal, what it means is you're very self-oriented. 
And the reason is, is the technologies are self-executing, they're self-governed, they're autonomous, and um, they want and, and they want permissionless innovation. Well, that means you know they don't have to ask anybody permission or consent of anything. And so, a lot all the stuff we have right now has not been done with consent by the people. And so, everything in the government, everything in commerce, is give or take, is reciprocal. And so hopefully that gives your listeners some sense of how crazy this has gotten in the sense where government is not supposed to be anarchic, but it's being anarchic in its policy. And technology is supposed to do and help people do what they normally do. And we have a technology that inherently does the opposite. I wonder if you'd uh, tick through some of these things. You, uh, I was reading another piece that you, uh, that you wrote uh, you said America has become less united, less just, less peaceful, secure, flourishing, and blessed since the 1996 U.S. Internet unaccountable, you call it the unaccountability policy. Um, so I wonder if you go through that, starting with the less united. Well, and, and just so people know the context of that piece, is those are the six um, uh, purposes of the Constitution in the preamble. And so, um, uh, I'm sorry, which of the six did you want me uh, to uh, let, respond to? Let, let's, less, less united first, yeah. Well, um, you know, we know that, pol- that, the, that it's very, very polarized. And what we also know, I think, in that piece, you know, we, uh, that during this time of the last 20 years or so, that partisanship has exploded about 160%. And um, that's because when you have... Um, the two things I was describing, that it's non-reciprocal and it's, you know, it's anarchic. Basically what that does, it's, we, you're, it's primitivist. You're going back in time and you're taking it back to where basically it's the law of the jungle. It's might is right. And so that type of environment promotes extremes. So when we talk about, you know, less united, um, the Internet policy and the Internet design plus with the, um, the social media and big tech on top of it who have no you know, account- accountability, it incentivizes, rewards, and tolerates extremes on, in every dimension. And so if your listeners or you see something in the society or in the economy or in foreign relations and you say, wow, that's really extreme, you know where it comes from because all of it comes from you know, uh, you know what internet policy or internet design is intended to do to you. So, and it unwittingly. Mm. So, does that answer your question? Uh, yes. Yeah. Yeah. It does. So, parenthetically, I want to have you go through the others here, but um, I, I was thinking, well, one solution would be, uh, you know, a person could withdraw as much as possible, but uh, the, <laughs> and that fails as you know, as, as you said, it's. It's just so pervasive now. To, to even operate these days, you you really got to be on the internet, right? I don't know about social media, but you got to yeah. be on the internet. You're, you're dead right, and I have a term for it. I call it the internet imposition. And the reason that is is it's imposed on us that if we want any of its good, I mean any of its good, we must accept all its bad. And that's not something you would normally, that's not a transaction or something that is what you want. Like if you negotiated anything, would you ever negotiate that outcome? Of course not. 
and that's part of the um, the on, the ongoing problem is is that um, the number of things that you put yourself at risk of is because it's non-reciprocal. The every advantage is on the attacker. Probably people have heard it described that way, but uh, and then everybody else has to defend themselves. So and it was designed that way, and so everyone's an island, mm. and uh, um, it's just. Very, and, and you don't really have a choice. The reason I've done a lot of work on the Constitution and, and its relationship here is, is that you know our government, constitutional government, is all about consent of the governed, and nobody really consented to what they're living under now. What about the social media part of this? Uh, that I think you could. You know, you could retire from from that. I, I mean, I'm not on a lot of those platforms, and I, I feel like I'm living my life okay. Um, wh- what about that part of it? Those are ones that you um, uh, you know can avoid. I know when I was raising my teenagers, you know, um, ten you know years ago, I kept them off of, you know, those platforms for a long time until they were old enough to be able to handle it. And so, um, social media. The thing is, it's really the only game in town. Like, if you want to reach out to a lot of people and have them interact, Facebook is important, and uh, and their ancillary services as well. And then Twitter is really important to certain people, uh, and certainly the media. I mean, the media listen to it, um, and that's where they capture you know breaking news most of the time. So social media, uh, um, you can have more choice, but this, like. On search with uh, Google, you pretty much ha- you don't have to use it. And I use you know Start Page, which is a private version uh, of it, and and Bing sometimes. But you know Google is a whole lot better than the other ones uh, on on that. So the, the, what you're talking about with social media is we have uh, just they've gotten way 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 too big, and they're out. Of, you know, and when somebody's that big and they're out of control. Actually, let me give me a couple. I'll give you a couple of stats that'll blow your mind and your listeners' minds when you think about. There are four big tech of the four big tech companies. Uh, if you took their combined revenues, it would be larger than the domestic budget for the U.S. government. And if you took their free cash flows, and they could every year fund the fourth largest military in the world. So hopefully that gives some perspective of when I say they're ginormous or humongous or whatever, that's four companies mm-hmm. that are that big. Yeah, that, that is amazing. And I suppose going back to your um, your idea, your, your your thought about the, the imposition, what do you call it, the imposition problem? Yeah, the Internet imp- imposition because it's being imposed on us. Yeah. It wasn't our choice. Mm-hmm. It wasn't our you know, we we would never have that imbalanced a agreement, <laughs> yeah. you know, where to get any good, you have to take all bad. So I suppose even though you can stay away from social media a little better, if if you want to get the good, you have to take all the bad with it. That's what you're saying, is? Yes, and people don't realize that's the um, you know that no one ever tells them that truth, but mm-hmm. it, but it is. I mean, once you go in there, I mean, the thing is, is they can also track you. People, bad guys on online can also track you offline in a lot of different ways as well. So it's, I mean, it's a gateway to um, bad bad actors. 
Well, let's take a break. We'll come back and talk about, uh, we'll go through the, the rest of this list on, on Internet harms and uh, then get to uh, the solutions that Scott Cleland is outlining, that the Restore Us Institute is outlining. We are talking with Scott Cleland. He's the executive director of the Restore Us Institute, which is a nonpartisan, nonprofit organization educating the public about Internet accountability problems and solutions. We'll have more following this break. Thanks for listening to Access Utah. I'm Tom Williams. This is uh, another in our uh, uh, irregular series on the Internet and social media. This time we're talking with Scott Cleland, Executive Director of the Restore Us Institute. He says, uh, back in 1996, uh, a lack of regulation uh, did help the Internet to build out. There's a lot of good in the Internet, but... Uh, this uh, Wild West uh, policy anarchy that has resulted, um, there's there's too much uh, ill there, there's too much bad, and it needs to be reined in. Um, so made reference to uh, your, and you made reference to this, uh, the, you took the preempt of the Constitution and illustrated with this Wild West Internet uh, how we're less united, less just, less peaceful. Let's go to less just. How are we less just? This is the area that's saddest and should um, really kind of, you know, shock people in the sense they know they know part of it. But I mean, there's no justice online, and what I'm saying there is there's no rule of law, so you're not protected from that. There's no you've lost your rights, not only your unalienable rights, your constitutional rights, your civil rights, and your human rights. I mean, you have no rights online, and that you also have no recourse. Because of the way um, you know, kind of court precedents have done have been have come out, so you don't have access to justice as well. So that's very unjust. And you know, as I mentioned before, what this policy is is it's a, a regression. It regresses, you know, back to the past to a to primitivism. You know, like it was before there was government. Remember, one day, you know, many you know centuries ago, government was a <laughs> You know, it was an innovation. It was it was good. But they've taken this back way before we had if you have an absence of government, you're in, you know, new territory. But the other the the thing that most upsets me just deeply, profoundly is um, for 25 years, five administrations, uh, 13 Congresses and 17 Supreme Court justices have neglected to protect Americans and, and children from harm and crimes online. And so they've set our children to the wolves online. I mean, and there's just very little government has done to protect them. So they're defenseless prey for predators. And then cybercrime is completely out of control that now only 0.3% of any any cybercrime has a chance of getting prosecuted. So basically, all the criminals know they can get away with murder, and they do. Why do I say murder? It's 100,000 Americans... Um, last year died of fentanyl poisoning, and almost all of it comes from online pharmacies that are illegal, and it gets into the country that way, and it's killing lots of people. So less peaceful. Uh, how are we less peaceful? Uh, and, you know, I'm, as you mentioned, I, you know, 30 years ago, I, was, I worked at the State Department. I was the Deputy Assistant Secretary of State there, so I know a good bit about this. And this is the mindless madness. I, I basically call the outcomes of these policies mindless madness because there's no better term. And um, there, you know, well, 
you know, this is out of the first, out of 240 years. You know, two years ago was the last, um, the first time we've had an unpeaceful transfer of power. Very, very, very we- weird. And so, and that was, uh, you know, there was a lot of the bad stuff was promoted on the on the internet. You know, um, you may or may not know that, uh, like, uh, the algorithms for Facebook and whatever had gave you five points for anger, where a like would only get one point. And so, the system is biased towards rewarding anger, and then people know it, and then they get more and more angry because they get rewarded more and more for it. And so, and then you can see it in the data. Like if we look at mass shootings where we all know they're just you know out of control, well, in the internet era, and why would this matter? Is because the um, the people who are doing these mass shootings want to become famous, and on on social media and whatever they can become very famous by killing people. And the during this internet period, those mass murders have occur, um, have increased three hundred percent. So I'd call that less peaceful. Mm. So less secure. How are we less secure? Well, this is one where I just you know I facepalm all the time. It's just it's just so dumb. But most you know we're most everybody in your audience and you and your friends and our loved ones. Either, somebody has been uh, you know hit by either a cyber crime, identity theft, some type of ransomware cyberbullying, cyber harassment, one of the many kinds of fraud. I mean, they're pervasive out there, and they're affecting everybody. And uh, and so um, we don't – nothing really can be made secure. No vehicle can be made secure, uh, no phone or whatever. And uh, that's because there are you know inherent flaws that are easy to break into. But the um, this is where we also – this is just mindless madness that we aid and abet our worst adversaries. So, for example, um, the FBI has 6,000 cyber espionage cases open against the Chinese. Last decade, the Chinese have stolen, have broken into and stolen almost all of our commercial trade secrets and a lot of our government secrets. My uh, my top secret clearance was um, was stolen along with 23 million others by the uh, by the uh, Chinese about you know, over a decade ago. But um, and then Russia has their way with us because they're the ones behind almost all the ransomware uh, bad guys and the cyber criminals, and they mess both mess, mess with our elections as, as well. So we have chosen the free flow of information. Meaning, you know, we want to free speech. We want to have never want to in, interfere with the internet in any way. Well, the internet is now a battlefield, and we have asymmetric warfare where we let them attack us, and we don't attack them until later. And so they just have their way with us as a country. And I just face palm and go, you know, when will our government learn they're not our allies or our friends? And when you don't, you know, protect against it, they'll do it until they they get until they can't get away with it anymore. You're listening to Access Utah. And if you just joined us, we're talking with Scott Cleland, executive director of Restore Us Institute, and uh, he's talking about the harms of uh, unregulated internet. 
so under less flourishing, um, and again, these are taken from the preamble to the Constitution, uh, the, uh, these mm-hmm. bullet points, uh, you say, I'll quote you here, the 1996 communications law to promote competition over monopoly has perversely promoted much more monopolization. Yeah, it's, um, and I've been an expert following that whole thing. And um, the, you your uh, listeners, many probably have heard the term network effects, which is something where the, you know, the rich get richer, the fast gets faster. It's just a network effect where, uh, you know, they know virality, and that generally is the network effect. And the network effects that like Google and others have are just exponentially, exponentially more than any that we had seen pre, you know, pre-internet. Um, and that's because, like, Google, for example, why I knew they were going to become a monopoly and out of control was, you know, they had, at one point, they had up to 200 products or services. So you get a network effect on all those, and all of those feed each other and add to each other. They're cumulative. And so, you know, the ability... Uh, you know, we really have done a, a lousy, lousy job of uh, antitrust over the last uh, 20, 25 years, and we've let them get totally out of control. But that's just one of the bad things about when we know, um, you know, we're, we're less flourishing. I mean, you know, I, you know, we're we're no longer treated as human. We're you know, we're a product or we're a user, like an addict. Um, we're an avatar. We're not people. You know, we're commercial chattel, and our data is they took it from us. We never had that control over it, and we're bought and sold online uh, in an inanimate way. And then uh, um, you also have uh, just social media is causing all sorts of uh, depression or self-harm or suicides at much higher rates. Uh, it's happening. You know, people are getting more depressed. So, I mean, we're not as healthy as we used to be. Uh, systemically across the society, we're um, we're much less healthy. So the final harm on this list, um, it, less blessed. What are you talking about there? Well, you know the um, the founding fathers were you know very clear, you know that if the, the, the American form of government would only work with you know morality or religious people, and um, that's because you know we value in the Constitution liberty. Well, the thing is, is um, what they were saying and what everybody, you know, that understands this is freedom comes with responsibility and power comes with accountability. Well, in the Internet space, the extremes is they don't think that, you know, they think freedom should be total. And so there shouldn't be any responsibilities whatsoever, not even to ask you for permission to use something. I mean, it, it, I call it the rotten rule. Is is that it's not you know um, you know treat others um, how you want to be treated. It's not the golden um, rule. It's do whatever you want to others, and so it is a very amoral um, type of um, dynamic. And that at the beginning I talked to you about how it was non-reciprocal. Well, non-reciprocal networks also, since they're more self-oriented, there's really no other side to um, to think about, boy, we should legislate, we should administrate, and we should adjudicate right and wrong. Well, online, we don't do that anymore. And so, uh, you know, it's, a, it's certainly 
a less moral place or a less ethical place, depending on your faith or your ethical tradition. Uh, let's take another break. When we come back, um, I want to talk about solutions, and that's uh, this whole purpose, right, for Restore Us Institute. Um, what are your recommendations? We'll talk about that uh, following this break. We're talking with Scott Cleland, who is executive director of the Restore Us Institute. We'll have more following this. Thanks for listening to Access Utah. I'm Tom Williams. We uh, Every once in a while we do a... Uh, an episode on this uh, program uh, dealing with uh, the internet and uh, social media. Of course, uh, those uh, platforms are pervasive in our lives. We uh, reviewed earlier in the program today. We're talking today with Scott Cleland, who is executive director of the Restore Us Institute. He said this uh, total lack of regulation, or uh, you know, very majority lack of regulation, early on, 1996. Uh, it was probably good. It helped to, to build the Internet out, but uh, there should have been a sunset provision. Certainly, he's outlined many harms of unfettered, um, unregulated chaos. He calls it uh, this Wild West uh, that we have with our Internet and social media. Uh, before we get into uh, to your recommendations, Scott Cleland, it occurs to me that some people, I don't know what percentage it would be, are perfectly happy with, with today's Internet uh, you're, you know, you're happy to be angry all the time, happy to be, uh, you know, sticking it to the other side, happy to be in their silo, um, happy with the way the Internet is is now. Well, I hope that number isn't as large as um, we fear, because, you know, heaven help us. I mean, um, it's a very, very dangerous place to be when people are most comfortable. I would say that from my research, I would put um, uh, they're the same on the, uh, on the left and right, on the extremes. Uh, it's probably, you know, um, 3 to 5% that are the most extreme. Uh, I don't think it's um, a mainstream thing. You know, there certainly are followers on both sides where they, you know, um, the most extreme tend to bully other people, and so the bullied may go along, but they're not necessarily the bullies themselves, if that makes sense. I'm just trying to help people have a little bit of context to what I think the dynamic is, and I'm not under, um, minimizing it at all. It's a very, very nasty, bad dynamic that we have in the in the U.S., and that's one of the things I'm trying to get people's attention to, that it doesn't need to be this way. This is U.S. policy that can be reversed. I mean, we are our own worst enemy, and we just need to stop doing it. I mean, I'll let you ask more questions, but I'll give you kind of the solutions where it's you know pretty clear. Yeah, so let's jump in. What uh, what what are what is, what are some of your recommendations? Well, the you remember I told you what I studied and figured out about understanding this dynamic. You have to go back to the root causes. I call, them, I call it rudiment analysis. And once you figure out what I, I was trying to figure out, what was the linchpin that was was pulled out by this anarchy policy? And it really was the Constitution. The Constitution is our authority for everything civil and government. So that's all sovereign international law, anything with treaties. It's anything that goes on federally or in state or local or anywhere in the, in the country. Is, it is the source of authority. It's the, it's the legitimacy 
of all authority, accountability, uh, responsibility. Everything flows from that. And we know that in 1991 to 1995, the Internet, the Constitution applied to it. I mean, we had two court cases that, you know, you can't have court cases in outside of the Constitution. <laughs> you know, so we know it, it, it was assumed and then it was applied and the courts reacted and said yes. It was then a decision, bipartisan decision, almost overwhelming, to um, go with this, you know, unregulated th- uh, thing. But, but regulation means government, you know, governing. And so they didn't realize how extreme they were being at the time, and I didn't realize it until later. Mm-hmm. So um, what I'm reason I'm giving you that explanation is is that you, if you know what the the cause root cause is, then you know the cure. And what they did is they made it so that the uh, Constitution practically or de facto didn't apply anymore online, and then it was reaffirmed when people would test it, that that's what the, what the outcome was. So the solution is very simple, is that in all the places where there's a U.S. Internet policy, and there's a handful of them, uh, you basically go in there and you rewrite it so that uh, it makes clear that the, that the U.S. Constitution um, has authority over the U.S. Internet and write it in U.S. policy. So you're just reversing what the policy was for the last 25 years. What does that mean practically? Practically, what it means is you have um, same rules, same rights, offline or online. You have equal protection under the law. And if it's illegal offline, it's illegal online. Another way for people to understand it is there is, you know, um, it, it restores rule of law, it restores rights, and it restores a duty of care, meaning a duty of care that if somebody hurts you unreasonably, you can sue them. And right now, you have no access to justice. If somebody um, hurts you or harms you, you're out of luck. You, just, you can't. I mean, if you go to the FBI and they say, you know, please help me, I lost 150000 they go, ah, I'm sorry, I can't help you. Unless you lose a million dollars, we don't have the staff to handle that. You know, so it's, um, you know, that, that restoring rule of law and duty of care, it's just, it's just common sense. And we also know it worked just fine for the first 220 years of America, and we had an America that was getting better, not worsening. So that's the the solution. But people should know what are we trying to get at underneath that, because um, we also we want we want to make where we want to reconstitute the Constitution because it's been deconstituted online. We want to restore all the rights, and that has to be written into the policy of just making it you know obvious that those that there's not any intent that a technology somehow can take away your rights. Uh, and then the key thing here that I hope people don't forget is why this problem has been so pernicious is the government in doing this created technology primacy. What do I say? Well, technology is inanimate. You know, it's not human. It's not humane. It's not, you know, animate in any way. And they've given all of our rights and all the things, the benefits that people get because they're humans and they have, you know, they have the rights because we, the people in the Constitution, were the ultimate power source. And basically, for the last 25 years, technology has been treated like they're people, 
and people have been traded, treated like inanimate technology. So the primacy about what is the priority of our country, our priority has been to idolize and worship technology and innovation and reward it and protect it by prohibiting protection of people and children. That's what the policy inherently does. So the other thing, restore us, you know, our tagline is restore humanity online. It's because inherently the crazy mindless madness we have right now is we have a policy that values technology way, way, way more than than people and, and humans. That has to be changed. And then there's, I won't get into the, you know, it's, it's wonkish, but there's also a jurisdictional and a preemption problem where we have essentially um, messed up the, uh, the separation of powers and the Constitution by giving the federal government too much preemption power so that you can't get any protection from the states or the localities. And so the absence of government in one place became absence of government everywhere. And who do we go to? The police. And locally they can't help us because they don't have the jurisdiction. So those are those are the solutions, and I and the reason why I chose uh, um, those uh, in in doing this is is it's you know what we're trying to do is what's most reasonable. So you know, we've we've had 220 years of the Constitution. We're we're going to get intended consequences, not unintended, because we know what the Constitution brings, and we've we've lived in it before. before. And so it also is the thing that should unite the most number of Americans. And that was also the purpose, is, is I, I genuinely believe unless the people stand up and get involved and get educated uh, in, in large numbers over time, it's going to be hard to, um, uh, to fix this because Washington's broken and they can't seem to uh, – um, to figure out that this is an area where it's the easiest to fix. There's the most bipartisan uh, um, interest in fixing these issues, and it can be done. And it's just big tech's got everybody, uh, you know, so fighting at each other and scratching each other's eyes out because they make so much money by making each side angry. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, I wanted to follow up that it's got to go through Congress, right? Anything meaningful, but uh, it seems like there's a pattern. Something happens, something egregious, a congressional committee calls Mark Zuckerberg and yells at him for a while, and then that seems to be where it, where it stops. How, how can we get Congress, uh, you know, off the dime? Well, this is the other reason um, the, the Constitution is so important. There's about 40 million people in the country, in my rough estimate, but it includes uh, that have this character, um, that, that share this thing. I'm one of them, and that is um, I've sworn an oath uh, of office uh, in, in government that you know I swear to um, defend and support, support and defend the, um, the, the U.S. Constitution against all uh, enemies, domestic and foreign. Well, when you add up all the people in this government that are still alive in previous governments, all the military, all the veterans, all law enforcement, all lawyers— and you get to 30 to 40 million people, and each one of those people have sworn uh, a sacred oath to, to follow that. And so that's the other reason why um, uh, we chose the Constitution, is, is that the government that we're asking to do this 
has already sworn to do it. And all we're asking them to do is to do their job that they swore to do. And so that's another reason that hopefully that can break through where not only do they agree, you know, especially on the kids stuff um, and the harm and the, the, the people primacy versus technology primacy, you know, both parties should see that as a, you know, oh, I'm going to care about voting voters more than voting machines. Oh, I mean, that's it's so obvious that they wanted to talk about people and the voters. So I think that's, you know, especially the, the oath is one of the things that the solution, it just, it works. Because it makes it so simple when you go to, um, you know, uh, we're a 501c3. And so we're not, you know, pushing any legislation or any uh, any side. But we can say, you know, this is a pretty simple, easy uh, idea, which is just do your job. Um, will some of these big tech companies need to be broken up in order for uh, some of these solutions to happen, do you think? Well, um, I think, you know, the, uh, um, that's, a, that's, a, that's a very difficult question, you know, kind of sequencing it and, and what all. Clearly, they need to be um, uh, broken up. You know, they've been able to, um, to, to get way, way too big, and they've been able to do it largely through, you know, I, I call it lie, cheat, and steal. And, you know, when, when, when you don't have to follow the rules that everybody else does, um, you always win. I mean, just imagine what, who would want to see the sports, um, you know, any, any league and one, one uh, a franchise could, you know, cheat. They didn't have to follow the rules. They own part of the, um, the stadium and they you know, own the league. And, you know, who would want to watch that? Because they, we, everybody knows every time they would win because they can cheat. They're allowed to. So um, I think, yes, they need to be, um, uh, to be broken up over time. And this policy would help uh, produce accountability in many, many dimensions. Now, some would say, uh, you know, some of the big tech companies are trying to self-regulate. They're, they're, you know, there's a moderation team that moderates uh, tweets. Uh, you know, uh, Mark Zuckerberg set up the, the so-called Supreme Court at uh, Facebook. Um, I, I'm guess you're going to tell me that's uh, way less than, uh, than sufficient. Yeah, I will, because, you know, we did, in order to get people's attention, we have created at Restore Us Institute. Um, dot org. You can see the petition we have, but it's in. Uh, we chose to write it in the form of a Declaration of Independence from unchecked technological tyranny. So, what are the three tyrannies that it um, uh, talks about and addresses that big tech has done? The first is there's three chief tyrannies. It in, inhumanely prioritizes protecting technology over protecting people. It unjustly grants technology impunity over people, and it unfairly empowers technology to control and govern people without any rights to process or access to justice. And so, um, you know, when a private company comes up with their own Supreme Court of, of this, you know, it, they don't have any um, – uh, there, there's there's no reason why they have to do the right thing. They want to appear to be doing the right thing, and um, they're learning that if they don't, it can be more problematic. But I think you know, big tech 
uh, does a lot of stuff for show and all the important stuff that um, that gives them the most power and that takes the most power away from others and hurts people, they don't change. Mm. And it's all, they do it, you know, it's, it's cosmetic. A lot of it's cosmetic. Well, we have a reset of our time. Um, Scott Cleland is uh, executive director of the Restore Us Institute, and you can find them at restoreusinstitutes.org, um, restoreusinstitute.org. Scott Cleland, uh, thank you so much for uh, taking time to be with us today. Thank you, Tom. It's been a pleasure. Thank you. And uh, we'll go out, as we do on Tuesdays, with uh, Richard Ratliff and Citizens Academy. Utah Public Radio, Citizens Academy, Session 15. So we've come to the culmination of election season 2022. I've been working at this Citizens Academy project just over three months, promoting what I call political relationism in an effort to tone down the contention in our current politics and to offer a way to enjoy the fruits of better government for all of us working together with only a little change of mind and behavior with the potential for big effect. Let's summarize some key points we've discussed through these segments. I've promoted five simple ideas that I believe can reduce the conflict and improve the political and governmental processes of our state and nation. Number one, society is a big bundle of relationships of many kinds. In fact, these relationships are the defining characteristic of society. Without relationships, there is no society. Healthy society comprises an abundance of healthy relationships. Unhealthy society has too many unhealthy relationships. And if you want to understand and evaluate a society, examine its constituent relationships. It seems to me that we have some work to do. Number two, healthy relationships are more beneficial and less costly for everyone involved than our unhealthy relationships. Number three, the primary purpose of government is to create an environment where healthy relationships can flourish and unhealthy relationships are discouraged. Number four, the primary means of good government is healthy relationships. We've seen clearly that unhealthy relationships make government very difficult at best. And we have seen and we are seeing now the crippling effects of animosity and contention on our politics, government, and society. We also have seen the almost magical effects when people of diverse ideas and opinions decide to work cooperatively together. Number five, it is our job as citizens to find, elect, and support government leaders with outstanding relationship skills and robust relationship portfolios, especially with those who may disagree with them. I have identified six things that all good relationships have in common regardless of whether they be personal, professional, political, diplomatic, economic, spiritual, institutional, romantic, short-term, long-term, distant, or close relationships. All healthy relationships enjoy the following. Mutual benefit, mutual pleasantness, intersection of purpose, mutual respect, mutual trust, and the means by which to conduct the relationship. And all unhealthy relationships violate one or more of these basic six characteristics. In my experience, I have found that this idea that all good relationships have six things in common and all bad relationships violate one or more of these six 
makes relationships much simpler to understand and manage than individual humans, who are immeasurably complicated. This being the case, political relationism can make healthy society and good government possible. Simple, if not always easy. What is more, we know how. Yes, you too. It is done one relationship at a time. We just have to want to, and right now, we desperately need to want to. Relationism offers alternative approaches with workable solutions to the difficult problems of our day, dangerous political and social contention, immigration, welfare management, climate change, rising crime, energy management, abortion, education, and many others. Of course, we can't solve every problem, but I believe we can do a lot more, and we can do it a lot better without breaking the bank. If the people want a relationship-based society and government, then we, the people, must make that clear to our government and political leaders. The fundamental ways we do that are with the vote and our relationships. The politicians will get the message. The question today is, can they tell what you want from them by your relationships? What do you want, really? Let them know. This is next to the last scheduled segment of Citizens Academy over Utah Public Radio for this round of elections. If you would like to continue the conversation beyond this election, please contact UPR by email. That's upraccess at gmail.com. Upraccess at gmail.com. And send any questions and comments you might like discussed on possible future segments. We look forward to hearing from you. This is Richard Ratliff for Citizens Academy. I am a political relationist. You may be too. I hope so. Thanks for listening. Till next time.